We've been looking, Lord, at these guys and, and judges and their, and their lives, and quite frankly, we're grateful that no one is writing down our lives and uh, publishing it at some point, because we, we, we're seeing these guys warts and all. We're, we're seeing them in a very realistic uh, way. You, if this book were just written by men, the stories wouldn't be told this way. These guys would come off looking a lot better. But we see them with uh, their strengths and we see them with their frailties. And that's how you see us. We would like to learn, again tonight, we would like to learn from this man who inevitably um, had many, many regrets. And it took a great tragedy to get his attention. So many times, Lord, we look at others who have more than we do. They have more gifts. They have more athletic ability. They have more scholastic ability. We, we look at them and we wish we could be like them. But we often see, Lord, that those who have great gifts just coast on their gifts. They live off their gifts. They never learn to work hard. They never learn to stay with it. They never learn discipline. And as a result, the impact that could have been in their lives is, is squandered seriously. And so for those of us, Lord, who are average, we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you have made us the way that we are. Uh, you have given us strengths. You have given us weaknesses. Those, um, those, those are in the proportions that you have desired. And for the work that you have for each of us to do, uh, we have what we need from you. Uh, sometimes we wish we had more, but we have enough if, if we will trust in you and depend on you. And even our weaknesses, those weaknesses are designed, Lord, to, uh, to keep us in check. Those weaknesses are designed to keep us dependent on you. This guy, Lord, we're going to look at wasn't teachable. He had one speed, it was 150 miles an hour, and, and that's how he lived his life. From the time he got up in the morning till he went to bed at night, uh, he lived fast, and he lived poorly. Uh, we don't want to live like that. Uh, some of us have lived that way in the past. Now we, we, we want to learn to live wisely with the years that we have remaining. We don't want to waste our lives. So teach us tonight, instruct us. That's our prayer. We, we don't say it flippantly. We don't say it out of uh, rote. We say it from our hearts. So we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was in Oklahoma City this weekend, and as I was uh, headed to the airport, I was hoping to get an earlier flight, and just wasn't enough time. So my flight didn't leave for two and a half hours, so I pulled in to get some lunch. And I'm seated at the table, and the waiter comes up, as they always do, and he introduces himself. And he said, my name is Samson, and I'll be your waiter this afternoon. And about 14 things popped in my head that I could have said, and I didn't say any of them. I, I, I said, well, great. Thanks, Sam. Thanks Samson. Uh, I'd never met a waiter before named Samson. Uh, I don't think I've ever met anybody in my life named Samson. And that was very ironic, because... I was thinking about Samson and preparing, and here we are tonight. We're going to look at the life of Samson, the most famous guy in the book of Judges. Um, Judges chapter 13 uh, begins the story of Samson, and, and we all know about Samson. We, we know the big story about Samson and his relationship with Delilah, but there's a lot more that goes into the story of Samson than just Samson and Delilah. That, that was sort of the culmination. That was sort of the, um, uh, that, 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 that was the major catastrophe that happened in his life. But when we look at what happened to his life prior to that, you could have pretty much predicted what would have happened to Samson because of the way that he was living his life and the choices he was making and the uh, things that he was ignoring. That he, that he knew full well. Um, 
Sometimes it's not that we don't know truth. Sometimes it's that we do know truth. We just don't want to do it. Now, that's, that's Samson all over. Uh, the story of Samson begins with an entire chapter devoted to the announcement of his birth. Uh, it's very, very unusual so that so much time would be taken uh, in, in telling the story of how his parents found out that they were going to uh, have, a, have a son. And in Judges 13, if you're looking at that, uh, there are 25 verses to, uh, to the story of his birth. If you look at verse 24, it finally says, then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. There's a lot of stuff in here. There, there's a lot of information. Now, verse 13 sets the stage. And if you've been with us in our study, you're familiar with this now. The book of Judges is a 300-year snapshot uh, of a of a segment of history in the life of Israel. It begins with the death of Joshua. You know about Joshua. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. Joshua had been mentored by Moses. So uh, that gives you a little anchor there to kind of reference where this book begins. Joshua dies at the beginning of the book of Judges. All right? But you've got quite a bit of history there because Joshua was a great man of God. He was mentored by a great man of God, Moses. So you got two studs there at, at the beginning uh, of, of Judges, all right? Well, then Joshua dies, and then you're going to get about a 300-year shot on the, on the history of Israel. And when you get to the end of that, we run into Samuel. And, of course, Samuel was the, the, uh, the priest who anointed Saul to be king, and then Saul screws everything up real quick, and then God tells him to go anoint David to be king. So the book of Judges is kind of, you got the bookends of Moses, Joshua, and then you got Samuel, David. So you got some great men on both sides. But what happens in between the bookends is an absolute train wreck because the nation continues to spiral downward and downward. They get in trouble, they call out to God. And God raises up a judge or a deliverer, and they will fight their foes, they will fight their oppressors, and then there will be peace in the land, usually for 40 years. And then they forget the Lord, and once again they go after the false gods, and they marry foreign women, and they do everything contrary to what God said. And remember, God said, if you'll follow me, and if you'll obey me, I'll bless you beyond your wildest dreams. The book of Judges is the story of how they refused to follow what the Lord said. The Lord promised uh, a rich life. He, he promised to them a good life. He promised to them a satisfying life. Uh, but they refused to go his way, and they refused to go his direction. So all the way through Judges, you got this downward spiral. Uh, and you see it again in Judges 13. Now the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord so that the Lord gave them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. The Philistines were a thorn in the side of the, of the Jews for quite a while. When David comes on the scene, he takes on Goliath, who was a Philistine. Um, so, so they're under oppression, and the Philistines are giving them a hard time, and they're intimidated, and they're beaten up, and their crops are being taken, and... They're dominated, and they're just intimidated. It's a terrible time. Verse 2, there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and had no children. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have borne no children, but you shall conceive and give birth to a son. And then he's very specific. You know, this happens throughout the Scripture, doesn't it, in the Old Testament? We see, we see all the time in the scriptures, we, we meet barren women. Uh, that's hard on a woman. Uh, if, if you and your wife are not able to have children, that's very hard. That's very, very difficult. That's a tough pill to swallow. Uh, they didn't have the technology available to them 
today, obviously, that we, that we do. There are things that can be attempted and tried. And isn't it always great news when a couple who is not able to have children find out there's, there's a pregnancy? And isn't it interesting how often uh, I remember a couple that I, that I knew, and uh, for 17 years, they were not able to have children. And, and then they, uh, and, and they pretty much lost hope. And uh, through some remarkable circumstances, in about less than a week's time, they adopted a little boy. And it was, they, were, they were thrilled. And uh, gee, just weeks after that, they found out she was pregnant. That happens all the time. They thought they were finished. They thought it was over. They thought they were done. And in the sovereignty of God, not only did they want to have just one baby, they wound up with two. So God does things well. Uh, Here's a barren couple. Now, this is interesting because in in this announcement that she's going to have this child, uh, some real clear instructions are given. Verse 4, now, therefore, be careful not to drink wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For behold, you shall conceive and give birth, give birth to a son, and no razor shall come upon his head, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. It's pretty wild. Because you see, becoming a Nazarite, that was a vow that you took, and it was voluntary. You took it as an adult. You decided, I'm going to make this vow to the Lord. That's not what happened here. This wasn't a voluntary vow. God said, this is what's going to happen in this kid's life. Uh, See, God had a plan for this guy. We're so big, we're so big in evangelical circles today on free will. Uh, we're just really big on free will. We really like free will. We like, and why do we like free will so much? Uh, because we like to be independent. We like to be autonomous. And we're Americans. We live in a democracy. We think free will is great. You know, there's one problem with free will. Your will is screwed up. And so is mine. There's something called sin. Now, Please understand me. We are responsible for our choices. You're responsible for yours. I'm responsible for mine. But when we use the term free will, I don't think so. Theologically, your will is not free. Your will has been polluted by sin. Your will has been polluted by your nature. That's why Psalm 14 says, there is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks God. So we think all these people are running around trying to seek God. No. If left to our own, do you you realize that sin has such a grip on us that if left to our own devices, if the Spirit of God never invaded our lives and pulled us to himself, none of us would have a desire to follow him? We We think, you know, our will's free and we're just flipping around and doing, and, oh, I have this desire to follow God. No, you don't. Your desire is to go contrary to him. There is no one who does good. There is no one who seeks God. The heart is desperately sick and wicked. Who can know it? Can the Ethiopian change the color of his skin? Can the leopard change his spots? Then you can do good who are accustomed to doing evil. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't give money to the Red Cross. It doesn't mean that you can't help uh, an elderly lady across the street. Those are good things. But we can't do good in order to attain righteousness before God. And, And will we do good on our own in terms of following after the Lord and wanting to serve? No. See, if God left us to ourselves, we would not choose him. See, many of us think we will. We we, we haven't grasped this concept. We think if left to our own devices, some people will just choose God. That is absolutely incorrect. Because you have a sin nature and your will, your will is captive to your nature. So God has to draw us. Jesus said, no man comes unless the Father, what? Draws him. Jesus said to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go forth and bear fruit. You see? That kind of rubs against our craw. But I'm going to tell you something. It's the greatest truth in all the world. Um, the, the fact is, we don't want God. We absolutely don't want him. But he comes after us and he pursues us. And Jesus said, all that the Father has given me will come. Say, Steve, this is starting to sound a lot to me like election. Well, then you are very astute. (laughs) 
I had a man come up to me one time in a conference. He says, you know, this sounds a lot to me. This sounds a lot to me like predestination. I said, you, sir, you, 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 you are on top of it. He said, but you never used that word. I said, no, I just, I knew you'd be offended. <laughs> but, but whenever we say God has a plan for our life, what does that mean? God's got a plan. He's pre-planned something. He's predestined. And you know, we get all upset by that. Ephesians 1 says, in love, he predestined us according to the kind intention of his will. That's not a bad thing. That's a great thing. You wouldn't know Christ if he hadn't have done that. So what about my decisions? You still have decisions. You make decisions, I make decisions. But before the Spirit of God comes into our lives, we will not choose Christ. So he chooses us, and then we have a new heart and a new nature, and now our will is free after we come to Christ. Now our will is free because the Spirit of God lives within us, and we're not bound to our old nature anymore. God has a plan. God had a plan for this kid, and God had a plan for you before you were born. And you say, well, does that mean that all the bad things that happen, all the bad choices are God's fault? No, they're your fault. We make bad choices, that's my fault. We'll say, well, how does that fit in with the plan? I don't know. Because that doesn't make sense. I know it doesn't make sense. But it's what the Bible teaches. You make choices, and God has a plan. I'm responsible for my choices. And what we try to do is whittle God down so that we don't have any tension between those two issues. So what we tend to do is we make God small and we make ourselves big so that we don't have any tension whatsoever. If I make a bad choice, well, wait a minute. If I make a bad choice, what, did God not predetermine that? Well, see, that's not the issue. Uh, the, the, the issue is you do make choices and I make choices and I'm responsible for my choices. We're going to walk out of here tonight. We're going to go make choices. And, you know, what's Flip Olson's thing? What was it? The devil made me do it. I don't need the devil to make me do things wrong. I've got all the potential within me, and so do you. Now, yeah, he'll play a part in certain situations. I'm not denying that. Of course he is. He's the tempter. But most of us, quite frankly, don't need any demonic help. We, we are prone to wander. Uh, it's our nature. But nevertheless, God has a plan for every one of us. Do you have children? God has a plan for your children. You have grandchildren? God has a plan for your grandchildren. There is a plan for this, uh, for this boy. The boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. By the way, what did God say to Jeremiah the prophet, chapter 1? God said to Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. You see. Samson was a Nazarite to the Lord from the womb. Nobody else in Scripture. And he shall begin to deliver Israel, who will? This kid, this baby that's going to be born. He shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. You've heard me mention this, uh, this theology that's going around evangelical circles now called open theism. Open theism is the subject of a lot of debate. Uh, Christianity Today magazine is, is read by a lot of pastors. Well, they'll often have articles on open theism and two different men on two different sides. Open theism teaches that God does not know the future. What, what, why are they writing articles about that? If you don't believe that, what are you screwing around with Christianity for? I mean, what you, God doesn't know the future? I mean, come on. That just amazes me. I mean, God knew the future. He knew before he created you that you'd be an idiot <laughs> if you believe that. But he still created you. He cut you some slack. He could have just not brought you into existence. We, we've all believed some dumb things over the years, I imagine. But it's everywhere in the scriptures. Before I formed you, I knew you. He will be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to deliver Israel from the hands of the Philistines. God knows the future. When Jesus came the first time, there were over 300 specific prophecies that were fulfilled. That's why we see prophecy being fulfilled literally. How can that happen? Because God knows the futures. The, the, the liberals go to Isaiah, and they had trouble because there's prophecy that's fulfilled in Isaiah. They couldn't work that out. Obviously, well, that can't, that can't be. There must have been two Isaiahs. 
So the liberals have Deutero-Isaiah. There were two Isaiah. There were two guys that wrote Isaiah. No, there wasn't. There was one. But see, they can't handle that. Because something in the future, God said, that came true. And, and now they were into triple Isaiah and quattro Isaiah. There's no stopping these guys. Because they whittle God down. They're trying to make God like themselves. God knows the future. So she's going to have this baby. She's blown away, just as Mary was blown away, just as Hannah was blown away. All these barren women in the Scripture. Verse 6, Then the woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. And I did not ask him where he came from, nor did he tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and give birth to a son, and now you shall not drink wine or strong drink. Interestingly enough, the mother was given direction that she was to obey. That's very unusual. But you know what she did? She obeyed it. Um, you shall not drink wine or strong drink nor eat any unclean thing, for the boy shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O Lord, this is Samson's father, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you have sent, come to us again, that he may teach us what to do for the boy who is to be born. Now, that was really unnecessary because all they needed, they, they had what they needed to know what to teach to the boy. They had the scriptures, you know. Um, God's given us what we need to teach. God listened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman, and she was sitting in the field, but Manoah, her husband, was not with her. So the woman ran quickly and told her husband, Behold, the man who came the other day has appeared to me. Manoah rises, asks, Are you the man? I am. Manoah said in 12, Now when your words come to pass, what shall be the boy's mode of life and his vocation? So the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, Let the woman pay attention to all that I said. And then he repeats this again. And then in 15, Manoah wants the angel to stay, the angel of the Lord. He wants to prepare a young goat. The angel of the Lord in 16 says, Though you detain me, I will not eat your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, then offer it to the Lord. For Manoah did not know that he was the angel of the Lord. Now catch this. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that when your words come to pass, we may honor you? But the angel of the Lord said to him, Why do you ask my name, seeing it is wonderful? Or literally, seeing it is incomprehensible. This was probably a pre-incarnate uh, appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what was happening here. Um, that name can only be applied to God. And we'll see what happened here in a minute. Uh, verse 19, Manoah offers the sacrifice. Um, he's doing that in verse 19. And he performed, who? The angel Lord performed wonders while Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar towards heaven that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on their faces to the ground. Now the angel of the Lord did not appear to Manoah or his wife again. Then Manoah, Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. Manoah says to his wife, we will surely die, for we have seen God. And he was correct. They had seen God. His wife said to him, if the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and a grain offering from our hands, nor would he have shown us all these things nor would he have let us hear things like this at this time. What do you think the rest of this pregnancy was like? I mean, they just had to be, they had to be in a state of shock trying to assimilate all this. And, you know, just, did, I mean, what would, what would you be like? And they're waiting for this kid to show up. And, and, and verse 24, the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson. And then what happened? Well, you know what's really interesting to me? And then, so you get a whole chapter on the announcement that Samson's going to be born. And, and verse 14 to me is really interesting. Verse 14, all right, the kid's going to be born. He is born, verse 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. What? I mean, is there not a, this is a Nixonian gap in the tape it seems to me. There's something missing here. Uh, obviously, this, this, this kid isn't three years old here when he sees a woman in the Philistine camp. Uh, Samson's got to be, what, 
20 or so. Uh, he's a young man. Basically, what happens, we jump from the birth of Samson, and now he's a young man. So we, we're missing 18, 19, 20 years at least. All these amazing things were said by the angel of the Lord. He's going to deliver Israel. His parents pondered this as, as Mary, when she was told what was going to happen to her. She pondered these things in her heart. They, they were just amazed. And, and then you got a 20-year leap, and, and what we read is not real good about Samson. He sees one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines are their enemies. The Philistines are their oppressors. He comes back, tells his mom and dad, I saw a woman, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. This isn't looking real good. Then his father and mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. For she looks good to me. This, this guy is not real impressive at this point in his life. What, what's his whole reasoning for taking her as a wife? She looks good. Now, I think we got a glimpse here in, in, into some things that have occurred in those 20 years that we don't know anything about. Because what happens is, um, basically... His mom and dad do what he says. He says, hey, listen, go get her. Now, I find that interesting. If you look at verse 5, then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, the young lion came roaring towards him. Now, we'll just stop right there for right now. Um, and by the way, in the midst of all of these circumstances, look at verse 4. The invisible hand of God is at work. The invisible hand of God is always at work. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord. What was of the Lord? That Samson wanted this woman, this foreign woman. Now you say, well, wait a minute. Does that mean that God caused him to do it? No, it was a bad choice. But can I tell you something about our bad choices? God is sovereign over our bad choices. You look back in your life, I look back over mine, I've made some bad choices. You've made some bad choices. And we look at those choices and we think, gosh, and there are some who teach, oh, you know, you made bad choices. You've missed God's plan for your life. You know what? You've not missed God's plan. Because God is sovereign over sin. God is sovereign over our bad choices. God doesn't make us make bad choices. But when we make them, our, God is so big that our bad choices don't disrupt the plan of God. I'm very grateful for that. Aren't you? There's the invisible hand. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. God is running the show. There are all kinds of bad moves being made today. There are all kinds of bad choices. Does that interrupt the plan of God for the ages? No, absolutely not. God is bigger than any of that stuff. And it doesn't interrupt God's plan. It simply fits in somehow. And can we explain this? No. But it's just how it works. Um. I find it interesting, he would say, she looks good to me. His father says, well, hey, they weren't supposed to marry foreigners, especially when the foreigners are oppressing them. They're not, but they weren't supposed to take foreign wives. So he says, hey, this woman looks good. She's got a good body. She's looking good, you know. This guy's all physical. That's all he can see. And his dad says, well, don't, isn't there a gal from around here, you know? I mean, isn't there a gal? I mean, isn't there a singles group that meets on Tuesday nights or something you can go to? He goes, no, I want her. Go get her for me. And what does the dad do? See, I think you get a glimpse into how Samson was raised. Because if instead of his dad saying, hey, I'm not doing this. You want to be a fool, you go do it. But you know what? Don't bring us in on it. I don't think this is the first time this has happened, is what I'm saying. Do you? I think what we're seeing is the end result of a pattern. And this happens sometimes. I think they spoiled this kid. Uh, they were childless. And when this kid came, they, they, they loved this kid beyond anything they could imagine. And, and they probably doted on him and probably gave him way too much and probably let him have his way more than he should have had it. That can happen. 
It's amazing how children can be manipulative. It's amazing, and you've seen this in a grocery store. A 32-year-old mother, a college graduate, maybe a master's degree, is completely manipulated by a kid that's not even 36 months old. Right? He's got her wrapped around his little finger. He's not even three, and she's in her 30s. Sucker can't even read. And she's got a master's degree, and he's got her tied up in knots. So are you raising kids? Your kids can't be the central part of your family. The central part of your family is Christ and your relationship with your wife. What kids need is a healthy marriage. They need a healthy mom and dad. The, the kids, the kids are, are, they, are they important? Sure, they're important. But, but they got to find out the world does not revolve around them. And the earlier they find that out, the better. And they can't always have it the way that they want it. Uh, we've talked about in Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I don't see the fear of the Lord in Samson's life at all. My guess is he had no fear of his father. He learned how to manipulate his dad and push his dad's buttons. So we're, we're heading for a fall here. Um, now, <laughs> verse 5 is interesting because we can fly right over something that we could easily miss. Samson went down the Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards. And behold, a young lion came roaring towards him. Now, let's stop there for a second because this, obviously this lion's coming. This is a big deal. But the biggest thing about this is not the lion. The biggest thing about this is the vineyard. And I'll tell you why. He was a, he was a Nazarite. There were three aspects to being a Nazarite. And this is out of Numbers chapter 6. All right? Three aspects to being a Nazarite. Number one, abstinence from wine, strong drink, or the fruit of the vine. You got that? What's this guy doing in a vineyard? Second thing, not cutting, not cutting the hair, ever. Third thing, no contact with the dead. Uh, what we're going to see is that Samson violated all three of these. Uh, the first one, absence from wine, strong drink. I can't prove it for sure, but I want to know what this guy is doing in a vineyard. It doesn't look real good. Uh, and he knew full well what, what the provisions were for being a Nazarite. But he's in a vineyard. And while he's in the vineyard, this, this lion attacks him. And what happens is, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him mightily, so that he tore him as one tears a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. He didn't tell his mom or dad what he had done, so he went down, talked to the woman, and she looked good to Samson. Mm. Mm, mm, mm. What a chick, you know? Now, here we go. When he returned later to take her, he turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion, and behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the body of the lion. So he scraped the honey into his hands and went on eating as he went. He just violated his Nazarite vow. You're not to have any contact with dead. So first of all, he's in a vineyard. Now he just reaches in, touches the carcass of a dead lion. Well, he's a Nazarite. You don't touch anything dead. Plus, he's down there to check out and marry a foreign woman. Flip over with me, if you would, to Proverbs 6. Here's the way it's supposed to work. Verse 20, my son, and here you got a father and a son in Proverbs, and we've got Manoah with his son, Samson. My son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. You've got godly parents. What a tremendous blessing is accrued into your life. Bind them continually on your neck. What's this now? The commandment and teaching of your parents. Tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. What will? The truth of the word of God that your parents gave you. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. When you awake, they will talk to you. Is it not amazing how you, some of you guys, your fathers are dead, but you had a godly father, you can still hear him telling you things. And you're 60 years old. Man, what a gift. What a blessing. What a provision. Or you had a godly grandfather. He's gone, but his words and his teaching is still with you. 
So what does that say to us that are raising kids and raising grandkids? See, our influence is much more than we imagine, much more than, than we, because we're just living basic life. For the commandment of your father, in, con- in the context, for the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. Now catch this. To keep you from the evil woman. From the smooth tongue of the adulteress. Do not desire her beauty in your heart. What did Samson say? She looks good to me. What a stud this guy is. What a leader. What a man. What maturity. Do not desire her beauty in your heart, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. And an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Verse 32, the one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. Flip back, if you would, to Proverbs 5. Verse 20. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? This is Samson. She's a foreign woman. She looks good to me. Um, There are actually three women in in this story of, uh, of Samson. So let's go back to Judges. Isn't it amazing how women can get you in trouble. They, they really can. That's why you want the right kind of woman. That's, that's why you want a, a godly woman. That's why it's more than physical beauty. Uh, that's why there's got to be something inside. Isn't it amazing that some of the most beautiful women on the face of the earth have been married four, five, six times. Guy who married her, couldn't believe, couldn't believe it, he landed her. And then he couldn't wait to get rid of her. Oh, she's beautiful, she's gorgeous, she looks good to me. There's more than that to life. You see? A lot, a lot of beautiful, beautiful women have never developed their character. They, they've never developed that inner beauty, that... that that quiet beauty of the heart, of the life, of the spirit. So here's, uh, here's Samson, and she looks good to me, and he's going after a foreign woman, and he's violating the scripture, and, and quite frankly, his father raised some concern, but apparently, as was the habit, they, they went along with it. Uh, let me get back to Judges 13 here. Actually, 14. Now, here's what happens. Um, If you look at verse um, 10, his father went down to the woman. Samson made a feast there, for the young men customarily did this. When they saw him, they brought 30 companions to be with him. And then basically what's going to happen is that Samson's going to tell them a riddle that has to do with the honey that's in the carcass of the lion. And he makes a deal with these guys, and uh, then, then, then they get upset because of some words that are exchanged. I'm not going to go into all the details on this. Um, but basically in verse 15, uh, they, they, they can't figure out this riddle. And so they come to Samson's wife. They call her a wife, although they haven't consummated the marriage yet, because that's a seven-day deal. Entice your husband so that he will tell us the riddle, or we will burn you and your father's house with fire. These guys played hardball. But you see, they were another culture. They were the Philistine culture. Now, you wouldn't, that, that, that wouldn't happen in Israel, but it happened in a Philistine culture. He shouldn't have been hanging out with these people in the first place. Uh, have you invited us to impoverish us? They were going to lose the deal. They were going to have to pay Samson off if they didn't come through with the answer to the riddle. Samson's wife wept before him, said, You only hate me, and you do not love me. Can you not just hear her saying this? You only hate me and you do not love me. You have propounded a riddle to the sons of my people and have not told it to me. He said, Behold, I have not told it to my father and mother. 
so should I tell you. See, once again, here's a woman that, don't, that won't stand with him. She's standing against him. This guy is not able to judge the character of a woman because all he can handle is the physical beauty. That's all he knows. That's all he sees. This guy lives on his appetites. That's the first woman. Um, and, and what happens is she's, she's given not to Samson. She winds up being given to his best friend in verse 20. And then in, verse 15, in chapter 15, he's going to go visit his wife. But her father won't let him in because she's been given to another man. And this is when Samson in verse 4 catches 300 foxes or literally jackals and torches them and ties them together and uh, basically they run through all the grain and the vineyards and the groves and they wipe out the entire crop of the Philistines. So they're going to come after Samson. And, uh, and what happens is the Spirit of the Lord comes on Samson and he shows this great, great strength. What's interesting is, is, is that the men of Judah, his men, get upset and say, what, what have you done? And his own guys in verse 11, what they do is they say, hey, these guys are rulers over us, and you've caused us all kinds of problems by doing this. And they say in verse 12, we've come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And uh, so they bind him. And then the Spirit of the Lord comes on him in verse 14, and he just, man, he, he just breaks those suckers like they were rubber bands. And then in verse 15, he takes the fresh jawbone of a donkey. If he had taken a brittle jawbone, he couldn't have done the job. And with it, he killed a 1,000 men. Let's jump to 16. So, so here's a guy. What do you got here? You got a guy who's unbelievably strong um, physically. If you go to chapter 16, verse uh, 2, uh, actually verse 1, you see the second woman. So the first woman is the foreign woman he wanted to marry. Chapter 16, now Samson went to Gaza and saw a harlot there and went into her. Once again, this guy's not doing real well. He's supposed to be the judge. He's supposed to be the deliverer of Israel. And the Spirit of the Lord did come on him, but, but Samson is swirling downward in a, in a sin cycle just as the whole nation is in the whole book of Judges. So he gets involved with this woman. And they find out that he's in there with her, and what they're going to do is they're going to kill him. Look at verse 3. Samson lay until midnight. Midnight he rose, took hold of the doors of the city gate and the two posts, and pulled them up along with the bars. He put them on his shoulders, carried them to the top of the mountain, which is opposite Hebron. These, these jumping big doors, have you ever been to Israel and you see how they do these things? These things probably weigh close to a ton. He just picks it up, you know, no big deal. This guy had unbelievable strength. Now we meet the third woman in verse 4. After this, it came about that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. Here we go. Let's start pulling. Let, let me give you three principles about Samson, about this guy. You're, you're getting the gist of the story. Um, remember, Samson lived in a day where every man did what was right in his own eyes. The nation was collapsing from within. They had forgotten. That they, they had no fear of the Lord. What does Proverbs say? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. What is wisdom? Well, we, we have a term for wisdom. Wisdom is common sense. If you come across someone that's got common sense, that you're, you know what you're saying? they got a lot of wisdom. I mean, every day we read things. And if you're like me, you just shake your head. I, I, I want to show you how far we've come in this. Day. Catch this. This is from uh, Al Mohler's website. And the title of this is, Should Boys Be Forced to Wrestle Girls? A controversy brewing in the Puget Sound region has national implications. Should middle and high school boys be required to compete with girls in wrestling matches? According to a report in the Seattle Times, girl wrestlers and their parents are indignant that some boys are forfeiting matches, refusing to wrestle girls. So what do you got, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old girl that's developing, and you're upset? Some, some guy won't get on top of her? In a, she's in spandex, and, and you're bothered by that? 
is the idiocy not beyond belief. I'd like to meet these fathers. I, I mean, I'm telling you right now, these suckers are airheads. And I'm telling you right now, they're lousy fathers. They're so consumed with athletics that they can't even see straight. They're upset. Here are boys that are doing the honorable. I'm not going to wrestle a girl. You know what? Boys aren't supposed to wrestle girls. That's sexist. No, you're an idiot, once again. If you think that's... Does Chuck talk like this on Sunday? He, he, does he? Oh, good. He would use stupid? Same thing in the Hebrew. It's same thing. Now, here, this is where it's interesting. In particular, boys from Tacoma Baptist schools and Cascade Christian schools are at the center of the controversy. These conservative Christians again. Doggone it. What a problem. Schools in the Rainier Valley League have honored the right of the schools to forfeit matches rather than have a boy wrestle a girl. League president Dan Peterson advises that the current policy allows any wrestler to forfeit for any reason. If a person chooses not to wrestle, they don't have to wrestle, he stated. Now at least one parent of a girl wrestler is ready to take legal action. Jerry Connors, father of wrestler Megan Connors and certified idiot, has filed a complaint charging the league with violating Title IX, the law that bans discrimination against girls and women in schools. So, is it, what's this guy's name? Jerry. So, Jerry, you want some 17-year-old kid full of hormones on top of your daughter, making moves on her, touching her breasts. You know wrestling, guys. You get in there in the crotch. What did, I mean, is this not... I'm rarely speechless. <laughs> well, I tell you what, that's just that's just crap, is what that is. I feel sorry for that little girl. Have a father like that. Fathers are supposed to protect. What's that? Well, yeah, if a boy, no, no oh, oh, let's bring that up. What, what if 20 years ago the boys had said, we want to wrestle the girls? Well, the feminists would have gone out of their minds. And, and quite frankly, what he wants his daughter to be able to do, if it was outside of a wrestling match, whatever the boy did, that boy would be arrested for sexual assault. Every man, every father is doing what's right in his own eyes. You see what happens when we lose the fear of the Lord? You see what happens when we lose wisdom? See, athletics is way out of control in this culture. Way out of control. Let me give you three shots on Solomon. Here's the first one. Solomon was physically strong, but he was morally weak. He was physically strong, but he was morally weak. Who did I say? Solomon. Solomon. So was Solomon. <laughs> Solomon worked out. Oh, I don't know. No, I meant Samson. Samson was physically strong, but he was morally weak. I used to do um, quite a few chapels for NFL teams. Uh, every NFL team has a chapel service five hours before kickoff or the night before. And I used to do, um, I don't know, a couple, three a year. I, I, I'm just not able to do them schedule-wise anymore. But uh, you do these chapel services. Several things always struck me when these guys would come walking in. Number one, they were so young, just young. And, you know, you see these superstars you read about in the paper. And these guys come in, and they, I mean, they look like kids because they are kids. I mean, you know, they're 21, 22, 23. They're young guys. Uh, the other thing about them is they're real wealthy. The other thing about them is that uh, uh, they're, they're physically just unbelievable. Some of these guys are 6'4". They weigh, you know, 293. They got 2% body fat. I mean, they're just, they're just studs. And, uh, and when I would talk to them at a certain point, what I'd say, to, I, I, I would remind them of that. I'd say, you're at the height of your physical powers. And you're working real hard on your bench press. And how much can you bench press? Some of them, four or 500 pounds, some of you guys? Here's my question to you. How much can you bench press with your character? See, you're on a road trip. Some of you guys are married. Some of you guys slept with women last night you weren't married to. You know why? Because you're physically strong, but you're morally weak. 
And that's not a man. So how much can you bench press? Some of you guys can bench press 500 pounds, but you can't lift three pounds with your, with your character because you've never developed your character. And you know what's important about that? Your physical strength is going to go downhill. You're not always going to be this strong. And you're on the road, and every time you're on the road, you got women. There are women all over this joint after you got. They'll sleep with you. Just, you all you got to do is just blink at them. They'll sleep with you. You know about that. See, that was Samson, physically strong, morally weak. Second thing about Samson, he could conquer men, but he was controlled by women. Let me give that to you again. He could conquer men, but he was controlled by women. Guy can lift up gates. He can take on the Philistines. He can do all this stuff. Now, now we're into the story of Samson and Delilah, you see. Verse 5 of chapter 16, the lords of the Philistines come up to her, came up to her and said to her, Entice him and see where his great strength lies and how we may overpower him, that we may bind him to afflict him. Then we'll, we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you may be bound to afflict you. Samson said to her, if they buy me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then I will become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps when it touches fire. So his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've deceived me. What? Who's deceived who here? She just deceived him. She's got the suckers and the wings waiting to kill him. But he didn't tell her the truth. So now she comes a second time. You've deceived me and told me lies. Now, please tell me how you may be bound. In other words, tell me how we can bind you and kill you. He said to her, if they bind me tightly with new ropes, which have not been used, then I will become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, the Philistines are upon you. For men were lying in wait in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arm. One more time. I mean, this guy's still with this woman. Here's a principle. Oftentimes, when it comes to women, the same mistake is made over and over again. It's just made in different circumstances. I mean, this guy's just doing one after the other. She's trying to kill this sucker. Now, most normal guys would say, I don't think I want to continue this relationship. <laughs> but she really looked good. And they were having great, great sex, you see. She does it again in 13. You know, up until now, you've deceived me and told me lies. Tell me. And he says, if you weave the locks of my hair in a web. So she does it again. All right, verse 15. Here we go. Then she said to him. This is classic. Then, three times is that. Then she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have deceived me these three times and have not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. What was he doing hanging with this woman? So finally, 17, he told her all that was in his heart and said to her, a razor has never come on my head. I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. He knew his calling. He knew everything about his calling. He knew it in his gut. And he tells her, if I am shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I'll become weak like any other man. Boom. She does it. It's over. They've got him. His strength leaves him in verse 19. Verse 20, he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. The Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze chains, and he was a grinder in the prison. The great deliverer of Israel. I'll give you a third principle about Samson. 
In the goodness of God, Samson was struck blind so that he might see. One more time. In the goodness of God, Samson was struck blind so that he might see. The great hymn, Amazing Grace, was blind, but now I see. What did it take for this guy? It took a consistent pattern of willful disobedience to God time after time after time. He can't judge the character of a woman. He can conquer men, but he's controlled by women. He tells his strength wasn't in his hair. His strength was that was the one area he had not disobeyed. God was honoring his obedience. And when he disobeyed, God pulled his power from Samson. So now he's a grinder in a prison. But as time goes by, his hair begins to grow back. We read the story. Verse 23, the lords of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god. Verse 25, it happened when they were in high spirits, they said, call for Samson that he may amuse us. So they called for Samson from the prison. He entertained them, and they made him stand between the pillars. Samson said to the boy who was holding his hands, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, and I may lean against them. There were 3,000 people in this room. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me just this time that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines for my two eyes. And the story is there. The Spirit of the Lord came on him and that supernatural strength brought down those two pillars. And he died, but he took 3,000 with him. He killed more in his blindness than he ever killed when he could see. It's, it's sad, isn't it, that sometimes this is how we have to learn. Uh, the bottom has to drop out of our lives. It, it doesn't have to be this way, guys. It doesn't have to be this way. There's something to be said for a teachable spirit. There, there, there is something to be said for... Uh, there was something to be said for a gentled spirit. I used to have a, a book that I would read to Rachel when she was a little girl. And it was a story about a horse. I can't remember this horse's name. But, but you know, it was one of these little kitty books. You know, it's only got like six pages in it. And there's this little horse. This little girl gets this pony, but this pony has a strong will. And um, the little girl was riding her little pony, and she wanted turn right, but the little pony didn't want to turn right. And she kept chugging on the reins, and he didn't like that. And instead of obeying the little girl, he suddenly jerked his head hard to the left and threw the little girl off. And it knocked her out. And her daddy came and picked her up, and the little horse was so concerned. And he felt so terrible. And then the day came when the little girl came back. And uh, his heart was broken that he had hurt the little girl. But you see, that's what gentled his spirit. You know what Psalm 32 says? God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. But don't be as the horse or mule whose trappings include bit and bridle to keep them in check. You want to know God's will? Well, you know what the rest of Psalm 32 is about up to that point? It's David confessing his sin with Bathsheba. pretty stupid to ask for God's will when you're not willing to do God's will. You want God's will? Then obey God's will. And God says, I will teach you and instruct you in the way that you should go. But you're going to have to do it my way. Let's pray. Help us to learn from this guy, Lord. Help us not to be foolish. Help us not to be stupid. Many of us in this room are strong-willed. May we submit that will to you. Jesus said it best, not my will, but thine be done. Thank you, Lord, that you were merciful to Samson.
And then his last act was a lack of obedience. We want to be your men and we want your favor. We don't want to fight you when you say right and we go left. Give us teachable spirits, obedient hearts. We confess our shortcomings and our resistance and our stubbornness. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.